Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. China has a problem. An aging population. And not enough babies. China's seventh national census lays bare the demographic time bomb facing the world's second biggest economy. While a number of countries are struggling with an ageing population, China's problems have a unique cause. China introduced the one-child policy in the 1980s. The government was worried that it wasn't going to be able to feed an expanding population. And then they start to tell people, look, you know, we just had too many people. We need to control our population. Four decades since it began, what impact has the one-child policy had on Chinese society? And as China announces a reversal, allowing parents to have up to three children, will it make a difference? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the legacy of China's one-child policy. As China introduced and implemented the one-child policy from around 1980, it was inevitable many, many families who had the only child would lose that child. That's Didi Tang. And then the Beijing-based correspondent for the Times of London. Didi has watched the one-child policy change society in China ever since it was introduced in the 80s. Now that that first generation born under the policy have grown up and had children of their own, we can see the unintended effects of the policy as they filtered through to millions of families all over China. For example... If you were only ever allowed to have one child, how would you cope if you lost it? In this case, we have this couple, Mr. Zhang Debing and then his wife, Liang Xiaochong. Both of them, they're 60 years old this year. They only had one son. And that son killed himself when he was in his 20s. Just talk me through the trauma of losing that child, what it means to them. You're talking about a couple who have raised a child into adulthood only to lose that child. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. this is, I mean, for anyone, I think it's very hard to take. It will be very, very traumatic for any family, let alone it's the only child, which means your family all of a sudden becomes empty, right? It would be traumatic if it happened anywhere in the world. But in China, where it's traditional for children to take care of their parents when they enter old age... It's not only the child's future 
which is brought to an abrupt halt. So they're kind of staring into the old age, not knowing what to do. This has been happening all over China, in families shaped by the one-child policy. And then there's estimation about a million families in China that are in that situation. You know, they are, they had the only child and then they lost the only child. But families who've lost their only child aren't the only ones facing an uncertain future. China's population is ageing, according to the most recent census released just a few weeks ago. So according to the latest you know, census data, the percentage of the Chinese population who are 60 years old and older, now they make up 18.7% of the total population. So we're talking about nearly one-fifth of the population are 60 and older. This may be China's looming problem. What to do with all the old people? More people are living longer. And to exacerbate the problem, not enough babies are being born in China to replenish the population. China's population is growing at its slowest pace in decades. That's according to the latest census data out today. And the baby bust could have enormous implications for the country's future. The country only had 12 million babies in 2020. So 12 million babies compared to almost 18 million babies a year in the year of 2016. With the birth rate rapidly declining, China desperately needs more young people. I mean, I'm not talking about the size of the population. The problem is the structure. You have way too many people on the top and you have too few people at the bottom to support the aging population. How does that work? I mean, what, what are the pressures on, on younger people? Because younger people, they're the people who will be working, you know, they will be the people who are paying into, who will be paying taxes. And then, you know, the yeah. government relies on tax incomes, you know, to fund the pension plans, right? To support the older uh, generation, the older population, to support this kind of social security program, the scheme to support the elderly. has this problem arisen? Is this a direct result of China's infamous one-child policy? The economists and the demographers, they have been arguing to say, look, in China, we probably should get rid of the family planning policy altogether. We need to be encouraging people to have children because otherwise we're going to have this demographic crisis where we have too many old people but not enough young people. So a few weeks ago, the Chinese government did just that. The authorities in China have announced that couples will be allowed to have up to three children, raising the limit from two. It follows census figures showing a steep decline in the birth rate. Beijing has enforced birth limits for four decades, but it's now concerned that a demographic crisis could add to pressure on its economy. The two-child policy aimed to boost China's birth rate and ensure economic growth in the face of a rapidly aging population. We'll look more closely at this new government announcement and what it will mean for China later. But first, let's take a look at how we got here. Didi says this story really begins in the 1950s. China was just getting back on its feet after World War II. The famed communist leader Mao Zedong, known to the public as Chairman Mao, had been in power since 1943. His aim 
was to turn China into a powerful communist state. On October 1st, 1949, Mao Zedong proclaims the birth of the People's Republic of China in the new communist capital of Peking. Our country will never again be an insulted nation, says Mao. We have stood up. So in the 50s, because, you know, China was coming out of the war, right, there was not enough people. And then Chairman Mao was calling on all Chinese mothers to be to be the glory mothers, to have as many children as possible. The slogan at the time was, the more people, the more powerful we would be. It was very typical to a fa- for a family to have seven or eight kids. Like my mom's generation and my dad's generation, they always, they have multiple like siblings. I had to count all my aunts and all my uncles, right? I was the uncle one, uncle two, uncle three, because I just could not remember all their names. That period was known as the Great Leap Forward and families were encouraged to have as many children as possible to drive the economy. But within a decade, it had become the Great Chinese Famine, with millions starving to death and not enough food to feed everyone. Chairman Mao responded by launching the Cultural Revolution, which led to massacres across the country as city-dwelling intellectuals were sent to work on farms in the countryside. By the time the movement ended in 1976, the economy and the country were in disarray. So when China was coming out of the Cultural Revolution, the economy really did not take off and China was very poor in the late 1970s. And the government was worried about that it wasn't going to be able to feed an expanding population. It it was the case of too many people, not enough resources. And then they start to tell people, look, you know, we just had too many people. We need to control our population. And I think by and large, most people accept it. Certainly, you know, my family accepted it. I mean, we really believed it. And people were reluctant at the same time. But then they were kind of measured to make sure that they were going to comply. To begin with, the one-child policy wasn't really a policy. At the time, they proposed, and it was a suggestion, it was a recommendation. If you go back to the written documents, you will never see a national level law. But then when the implementation at the local government happened, it became a hard rule. The local governments who were responsible for enforcing the policy adopted harsh measures to force families to comply. They will have the policy to say, look, you know, if you should have more than one child, right, you're going to lose your jobs. We're going to take away all your valuable possessions if you're living in a rural area. That was a very effective deterrent for the rural families not to have more children than allowed. So it was the implementation that made this policy a very hard, restrictive rule in the 80s. So families were being punished if they had more than one child. How was this rule implemented? I mean, were people forced to use contraception after their first child? I think people, they knew, you know, they, when they knew the consequences of having more children than allowed, so they will do everything possible not to conceive. And sometimes, even if you try everything possible, right, you may still have unwanted pregnancy, so abortion. I think sometimes they will have those that are forced uh, abortion and the forced sterilization on women to make sure, you know, they're not going to have unwanted... Uh, forced. Forced, they, yes. Women would be forced to have an abortion or, or forcibly right. sterilized. And that even happened as recent That's as 20, 2012, I think it happened. And that was a horror story. I remember I had to cover that story 
there's one woman, and then I guess they couldn't afford to pay the fine for having more children than allowed. So the government, the local clinic, forced a late-term abortion on her. And that happened very recently, I think it was in 2012, just before China began to loosen the, the restrictions on, on the number of children a family can have. It's so shocking to think a state can, can do that. Yes, yes. I mean, how, how did... How did the, the policy, you know, I know it started off voluntarily in the 70s, but how did it play out with the public when it became a hard and fast law? As I say, the public has come to accept it, right? You know, the propaganda was very powerful. They drove this message into your head. And then people started to buy into the idea they start to accept, you know, that was needed. And then all those like forced measures, they made you not want to challenge the rule. Also, it's because it's applied everywhere on everybody. So there's no exception, right? It's not like I'm being singled out. Everyone was getting treated the same way. And I think the whole society accepted. They may not be happy with it, but they... Hello, I'm Emma Tucker, editor of the Sunday Times. It's thanks to listeners like you that we're able to provide journalism that matters. Get to the heart of the story every day with the Times and the Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. As China adapted to the one-child policy, we soon saw some of the unintended consequences of the policy 
playing out. You can argue it has been particularly unfair to baby girls because they're more likely to be abandoned. They're more likely to be killed sometimes, right? I mean, in the rural area, if the firstborn should be a girl, you can have a second child. But what if the second child should still be a girl? So that sort of has given rise to the practice of you know either abandon that baby girl, the second baby girl, or even to kill that baby girl. In the rural area, that was more common. Many of the baby girls who were abandoned were then adopted abroad. Over one quarter of all the babies adopted from abroad into this country come from China, and most are girls. It's a consequence of one of the biggest efforts to control population growth in history, China's so-called one-child policy. And then, so I was in the states around 2000, and、I、remember, you know, all those like American couples who were coming to China to adopt, right? Typically. They adopt baby girls just because there were so many baby girls in the orphanage, waiting for adoption. My husband's aunt, and then she adopted two Chinese baby girls.、Uh, I think that was like in the two thousands. Yeah, so that was very common. Like if you see, you know, anyone who was adopting a child from China, I would say ninety percent,、uh, the chances are, you know, will be a baby girl. Many families found it hard to abandon their children, but if they had more than one, that made life very difficult. You had to get this little kind of slip or permission, a written permission, before you could go to the hospital to deliver your child. So, if you did not have that permission, a kind of written authorization, no public hospital was going to take you in, unless you know you went to some sort of underground clinic. To deliver a child, or you try to deliver a child、wow. on your own, but then it will still catch up with you because you know then your child cannot be registered, which means your child won't be able to go to school, won't be able to get all the benefits. Officially, they did not exist. The family will hide them. There was such a like huge, you know, invisible population right out there in China. They couldn't get education, and then later on, if they wanted to have a job, that was very hard because they don't have ID number. You know the government did not acknowledge their existence. So I've met women like that. I kept running into women like here in China. They say, "Oh, look, you know, I really don't have a registration. I don't have a household registration because I was the second girl, you know, born to the family. So my family never registered me, and I did not go to school or I got very very basic education. I couldn't really get a job. So you know, they're more likely to have menial work, and then they、yeah. usually they're stuck at that kind of the work." But whilst the one-child policy unfairly punished many girls whose families abandoned them, it also had a surprising impact on feminism in the cities. What we saw that was happening was, you know, parents they they started to treat the boys and the girls equally. So the girls they will have the same expectations, they will have the same opportunities because, you know, they are the only child, right? If I don't send you to school, who else am I going to send you know to school? And then the parents they will invest. Just as much as they would invest in in boys, I have only this is the only child. She's my only hope. I'm just going to do、yeah. my best. That's actually probably the only silver lining to the one child policy. And then I think that happens particularly in the cities. And then there was another argument. Actually, they were talking about that also has happened in the rural areas, and the rural areas because now you don't have as many women right as the the man. 
in the rural areas because, you know, before the yes. selective abortion, whatever it is. So maybe the girls, they will be discriminated against, you know, when they were babies, when they were girls. But now they have reached their adulthood and they have become like pride. I mean, they're, they're highly valued, the rural women. So actually they have more choices and they're talking about they're more likely to initiate, you know, divorces. Because, you know, they can find the second husband pretty easily, right? Because there's so many bachelors out there. There are so many single men out there. I'm really fascinated by the sort of, you know, these unexpected side effects. How has it played out seeing so, so many people who don't have brothers and sisters and also have sort of been, you know, the centre of their parents' attention? Has that sort of changed societal relationships? Has, is, I mean, ha, has that sort of been, has that had an effect? I think we're still kind of grasping it. I, you know, in the 90s and the probably 2000s, if you remember, there were all sorts of stories coming out of China about the little empress and the little empresses talking about the generations of the only child, right? They were going to be spoiled because they, they were the only child. So the family, whatever the resources that family had, you know, would all be spent on that child, be a girl or boy. And, you know, the schools were seeing this generation of children, the students, they did not know how to get along with classmates, the roommates, just because they never learned to live with siblings. But, it turns out, being a little emperor or empress, being the sole focus of their parents' attention, had its drawbacks too for this generation of only children. Expectations by the parents were getting like unreasonably high. And then there were more kind of mental issues. You know, once you have only one child, right? Just imagine that expectation, right? You were getting everything. I spent every penny on you. I sacrificed whatever it is. And now it's time for you to deliver. And the expectations don't just come from their parents. For many of this generation, without any siblings or cousins, they've been under pressure to support their parents and two sets of grandparents too. In China, it's called the 421 problem. If the China should carry on this one-child policy, so you see this kind of inverted pyramid, 421. So the first generation, you have four people, and then two on the second generation, third generation, you have one. So the number is, you know, getting smaller. So four grandparents, two parents and one child. And in China, where the children are expected to take care of their elders, that becomes an enormous burden, with each person being responsible for six elders. Now, knowing that, think back to the family we started with. Mr Zhang Debing and then his wife, Liang Xiaochong, who tragically lost their only son to suicide. There are at least a million families in China in the same situation. In these cases, the government has to take responsibility and step in. You sort of can blame that one on the one-child policy, right? And then the government was aware of it. You know, they say, okay, we're going to give you some kind of compensation if you should lose your only child. It is not a lot of money, about a thousand yuan per month per parent. So we're talking about 110 pounds per month and per parent. It's a bit like a a bit like a, a widow's pension almost. Sort of you've lost the person who would have been earning money for you. Right. That small pension wasn't enough to make the couple that Didi met feel secure. They felt the only way they could ensure they were supported in their old age was by having another child. By that time, the couple was too old to try to conceive. 
And so they thought of this kind of method called a self-rescue. You know, there are some kind of Chinese families, you know, the older woman, even after they had the menopause, once they lost their only child, they try everything possible to conceive. I'm really fascinated by the idea of self-rescue. What does that even mean? You lost your only child and you're trying to help yourself, right? And then there was one story in the state media about this woman. She is in her 50s and she lost her only child. And then she was telling the reporters she was crying day and night. And I think it was on the seventh day or the eighth day when he decided, I'm going to try to conceive again on my own. It was oh, very wow. outrageous, right? You know, it, it was outrageous idea. But what she said is like, you know, I just could not live any longer without a child. The life was miserable. It was not worth living. I mean, those women, they will go to clinics. They will go to public hospitals. After wow. menopause, wow. they will be taking those sort of fertility drugs, right? This woman, she tried probably seven or eight years. And then finally, she was pregnant. And then she delivered wow. a, a set of twins, I think it was early this year. And people started to question if this is responsible or not. You're already in your 50s. When your children are in their teens, you will be 60s. And how long can you live? And then the woman says, look, you know, I just not, cannot think that far, right? I just have to have children for me to live on. So anyway, in this case, Mr. Zhang and then his wife, Ms. Liang, they decided to adopt a child. They adopted a baby girl, one who'd been abandoned by her family. At that point, the couple was already in their 50s. The girl is now a teenager. From the moment they brought her home, the government stopped sending them compensation for the son they'd lost, a decision which they're still trying to fight. Daughter is very young, and they're trying to raise that child. And it's not cheap to raise a child anywhere in the world. So that's why this couple now is kind of finding a legal case, trying to see, look, you know, we're raising a child, a small child, and we still need the help. The Chinese government were unmoved by the plight of baby girls and many of the other desperate situations caused by this policy. But they've had to think again, now that they're faced by an ageing population and a plummeting birth rate. I think probably in the last like five years, they realised it was really a problem. You know, when China introduced the one-child policy in the 1980s, so the policy continued. So it was basically in effect for nearly 40 years. And then so finally, around 2013, when they loosened a little bit the one-child policy to have, you know, partial two-child policy. That partial policy meant that certain couples who met specific requirements could have up to two children. Since then, the government has loosened the requirements further, but it's been a slow process. All right, time now for our Daily Focus report. Once notorious for its strict one-child policy, China now considering proposals to push women to have more babies. They say, OK, 2016, we're going to allow all Chinese families to have two children. And then the predictions at the time were very optimistic. And they were predicting you know, baby booms. And I think, you know, the formula companies, the share prices, you know, or any kind of company dealing with the maternity care, right, the shares like soared. And then so 2016, we did see a boom, but it was so small. The boom only lasted a year. So only in 2016, the, the number of the newborns went up to nearly 18 million that year and the highest mm. since like 2000. But then even that number, you know, even with the baby boom, right, the number, the actual number did not meet the expectations. And then in the following 17, 18, 19, they saw the number falling 
every single year since then. Welcome back. Well, experts say China's decision to allow couples to have up to three children may not actually do much to grow the younger population. So China's big plan to increase the birth rate and grow the population doesn't seem to be working. Why is that? Fundamentally, I think the problem is the number of women of childbearing age was declining thanks to the one-child policy. So we're talking about those babies who were born in the 80s and 90s, right? Now the government needs to rely on them to produce more babies. Of the few women who can have children, and many of them, they don't want to have children these days because they have better education, you know, thanks to the one-child policy. The Chinese economy has been going well. There are so many job opportunities for them. They have more choices. They have more life choices. And then I guess they don't want to have a children too early. And then they don't want to have too many children either. Didi says this is partly because of the economic pressures they're under too. I mean, that's why they're kind of the sandwich generation, right? They have four elderly to support. And what if they need to raise three children at the same time on their own, right? Because they don't have siblings. They have to support four elderly and trying to raise three children. It's also incredibly difficult to change a culture. And for decades now, Chinese society has been geared towards one-child families. The whole society is built around it. Just, you know, the norm, the default is two parents and one child. And that's it. You see that on posters everywhere, right? That's the cultural norm. For example, if you want to go to a park, they will say, oh, we have a family ticket package and that will include two adults and one child. So what if yeah. I have two children, right? And then so you're talking about double strollers. I mean, that would be something very kind of, it would be a novelty in China. Um, Didi, tell, tell me about your own personal experience of this. Oh, I totally bought the idea that, you know, China needed to have the family planning policy or the one-child policy because we were told, you know, the country was very poor. And even if we grow the national economy, the per capita, you know, the wealth will be very limited if we had too many people to share, right? But by the time she was an adult, Didi had changed her mind. She now has two children, a novelty in China. By the time, you know, I decided to have children, I had become like naturalized US citizen. So the, the law does not really apply to me. But if I was still a Chinese national, I don't think I'm going to have a second child. You know, my brother, he only had one child. My parents were talking about, look, you know, you need to probably should consider having a second child. My brother says, no, we cannot, you know, afford to have a second child. And then he's a college professor. So, you know, if a college professor cannot afford a second child, if he has to think twice, for many, many Chinese families, having a second child is a challenge. And culturally, have things changed enough? I mean, when you're walking down the road with both of your children, do you, do you still get odd, you know, do you get odd looks for it? Or? I think now it's kind of the look of jealousy or envy, right? <laughs> people say, oh, <laughs> now you have two children. And I think it's, if people can afford it, it's still kind of desirable to have two children. Especially in my case, I have one boy and one girl, which is, you know, considered perfect by the Chinese culture because, you know, you have both a boy and a girl, right? What else can you be asking for? So will this new announcement from the government 
to allow families to have up to three children. Will that be welcomed by people in China? I think the policy, when it was announced, the three-child policy, right, and then people were just like, they found it to be laughable matter. Unlike 2016, when the Chinese government opened the policy to allow two children, I think two-child policy was popular because Chinese families, they still wanted to have two children. But then when it comes to the three-child policies, but it has come too late. The desire is no longer there, right? The desire. And then that's kind of because, you know, raising a child is very expensive here in China. And then they will say, mm-hmm. look, you know, do you think I don't buy three luxury cars because, you know, the government has imposed a limit on the number of the luxury cars I can buy. It's just because I can afford to buy three luxury cars. It's not because the government does not allow me to buy three luxury cars. And I think wow. the Xinhua, the official news agency, was trying to run a poll to say, look, you know, are you going to consider, you know, having three children? The answer was no. It was so overwhelming that the Xinhua news agency ended the poll prematurely. Really? Let me say, look, the message was very clear. So it doesn't look like this policy will make much difference to the population. What should the government do if they want to stop the birth rate falling? I think the government needs to put the money where the mouth is, right? So that means the government needs to invest in childcare facilities to make it affordable first. So they need to provide more incentives. Right. So that's what that means. The government needs to really invest the tax incentive or maybe they just need to hand out cash you know, to Chinese couples who are having the second child or the third child, whatever they do, they need to spend. They cannot force people to have more than one child. But then at least they can incentivize, you know, people to have more, you know, they make it affordable, feasible for for people to have more than one child. They also need to have uh, a more friendly workplace for women. Because Chinese yeah. women, they're still losing their jobs over pregnancy. The, the two-child policy, now the three-child policy, actually is hurting women in the workplace. You know, in the mm-hmm. past, employer will say, okay, we can put up with one pregnancy. We can pay, you know, one yes. maternity leave. Now we're going to pay three maternity leaves, two maternity leaves. It's really interesting to sort of hear, hear about the problem of having an ageing population and lower birth rates because it's very similar to what we're seeing across Europe. One way that Europe has combated it, so for example, Germany did this a few years ago when they realised they had a shrinking workforce and an older population to support. They started welcoming more immigration, so they welcomed lots of Syrian refugees, for example. Is that something China would would think about? I do not think so. China is not... Opening up to immigration? No, China doesn't have an immigration culture. It's such a nationalistic country, right? I just don't see immigration being a viable option at this point. So I cannot imagine, you know, immigration for people of any color, any nationality to come to China, to immigrate to China. I don't see that happening anytime soon. And just finally, is China worried that sort of having this dwindling population, you know, having a smaller workforce, are they worried about how it might change their place in the world? I think so. I think that's the case. Uh, We're talking about Chinese economy and I think there are lots of talks about when Chinese economy is going to overtake the U.S. economy to be the world's largest. I think that's probably going to happen in the next 10, 20 years, maybe. But then there's also argument is, you know, even if that happens, China won't be able to keep, you know, the number one position for very long because of the the population issue. You know, there will be fewer people and then the market is going to uh, shrink. 
And what if India should overtake China as the most populous nation? I think that's that's going to happen. I think the fear is, you know, the investments, right? And is China going to be overtaken by India as the world's largest market? So it all comes down to this competitiveness, right? The global competitiveness. been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Didi Tang, Beijing correspondent for The Times. You can read more of Didi's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers today were Brenna Daldorf and Asia Fuchs. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do leave us a review. It'll help new listeners to find us. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.